Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the HR revolution or evolution, no matter what way we look at it. The world of HR is changing and changing quick. Um, and uh, this show is all about the revolution of HR for the evolution of business. And we do that through conversations with thought leaders in both the people analytics space, but also the world of HR to really garner uh, more insights as to what we should be doing or could be doing in our roles today. And how do we evolve the function to be more aligned with the business as well as the employee's needs? And today with me, I have Chris Derone, who is a co-host. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing great, Kevin. Thanks so much. Uh, really excited to have our guest today as we'll get into that in a minute. But as Kevin mentioned, really a passion project of ours for you know, like-minded HR professionals, uh, CHROs, CEOs, anyone who's looking to learn how do we leverage our people because as we know, people are our greatest asset. Our guest today is, is Michelle Pedzik. She is a Senior Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at Canada with National Bank and Trust. Michelle is a trusted HR leader who has demonstrated her leadership skills and expertise, not only in the business world, but also through her community involvement and her dedication on several boards and community committees. And as a result of her accomplishments, she was honored as a 2021 NHRA NHRA, excuse me, HR Executive of the Year. So that's fantastic. On behalf of Kevin and myself, we want to thank you, Michelle, for taking time to join us and welcome you to the show. Why, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I know I'm excited to get to know who Michelle really is at the end of the day, because I know you're a lot more than just a CHRO and HR leader. So I got to ask, so where are we going in Rochester or Canandaigua for your favorite bite to eat? Ooh, oh, this is a really tough question. Um, but I, uh, right off the bat, I would say a place like the Green Front. Okay. So if you know, I'm adding that to my the, list. The Green Front, <laughs> the Green Front for wings, 100%. I would throw in um, for a more of a high-end meal. I'd go to the Rose Tavern. Um, I might go to Nolan's Kicks on Main. Um, there's just we really have a pretty dynamic restaurant scene in Canandaigua. Yeah. So lots of places to choose from. And I'm sure I've just offended some restaurant owners that, that I love. So my apologies in advance. I love it. That's fantastic. <laughs> you could have said it. I think you did. You said all of it's really, really good. I mean, you have a culinary center right there. So that's pretty impressive. You know, Me just because of that. So Me Michelle, you're, you're, you're going for a walk, right? You're trying to get away for a couple of minutes to, you know, get your mind settled and you throw on your headphones. What's playing on your headphones? What music are you listening to these days? Oh, I think it really depends on what kind of mood I'm in. Um, it's probably not classical. Okay. It's probably <laughs> something like the Chicks. So okay. I just went to the Chicks concert in Syracuse. It was fabulous. Um, it might be Jackson Brown, who I'm going to see on Saturday night. Oh. Um, it could be be the Dropkick Murphys. I mean, my, I would say my music taste is pretty eclectic okay. depending on what my mood is. So, um, but the, the one thing it probably isn't is something super calming because I have a really hard time sitting still and meditating. <laughs> this is, that is usually how I need to work out some emotion. There you go. That's fantastic. That's great. That music, yeah, depending on what meeting you just got out of or what meeting you're preparing for, that, that, will, that, will, be, that will help set the tone for you mentally. You got All that right. right. So we're, we're having our wings. We're listening to the Dropkick Murphys. Sure. And then we're finishing that evening and we're headed to go see your favorite movie of all time. What's your favorite movie that you've ever seen? 
Uh, oh, this is a hard question too. Um, what comes to mind is completely rom like rom-com 27 dresses, right? If I want to torture my husband, I'll put it on for the hundredth <laughs> time in my house. Um, but again, it could be some action film too. Just saw Maverick not too long ago, okay. you know, yeah. as a product of, you know, middle school and high school in the eighties. Um, it was, was very handsome. <laughs> it was 100% in my wheelhouse. And I went with my daughter who is 20 and she loved it just as much. So, so um, those are a couple, but I would say, I would say probably some kind of really terrible rom-com that I won't even remember the plot line for. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love you. I love those. And my wife, uh, the sister act two is that movie that she's watched a hundred mm -hmm. times. She's really is. trying to drive me nuts. Got it. <laughs> so, uh, all right, Michelle, well, I wanted to kind of learn more about your journey. Um, it's been an interesting sure. one. And I think a lot of people in HR, continue to evolve, right? And they sure. evolve by almost starting at one position and then working their way up, um, almost exactly how you've done it. Uh, at first, I wanted to start really what you have noticed as the difference and the change from when you first entered HR and where you we are at today, because it looks like you were heavily focused on compliance before. And obviously, the role has evolved much further from, from just compliance. <laughs> For sure. So if I, if I go way back in my career, one of the things that I always share is I really thought I wanted to be an international business, like working at a hotel okay. and, um, and spent a lot of time when I first got out of college in the restaurant industry, where I swear I learned how to multitask. If you've ever spent any time working in a restaurant, you just know, you learn those mad skills, right? Um, and then as time progressed, really, really just kept being drawn back to any, any time I can interact, interact with other people, right? That's my wheelhouse, being helpful, you know, helping move people along in their careers. Um, I started my real first HR role as an HR department of one. Um, and again, you're kind of thrown into a little bit of everything. So you, you kind of get that broad generalist experience. And then my career sort of went into the direction of HR consulting and HR compliance and spent a lot of time not only on policy and compliance, but a lot of that role was really interacting with hundreds of companies who had questions on HR. We don't know what to do about this. You know, can you help me create a performance review form? I mean, any and all things related to HR, which I think really, you know, I don't always know the answers, you know, spoiler alert, right? We don't always know the answers, <laughs> sure, sure. but I think that understanding how to be resourceful and try to find information or um, whether it's a regulation or a policy, whatever it may be, and then balance that with how does that work in the real world is really I think a big learning that I had during my career. And then that really set the stage for me to be recruited from HR Works um, to CNB. So I've been actually just crossed over my 10 year mark this Congratulations. month. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, at National Bank. And um, I, I just, it's, it's wonderful here. But that evolution, your, your original question is how have things changed? I mean, for myself personally, it was really how did I move from being transactional, making sure benefits are set, payroll set, 
you know, the really administrative um, transactional tasks to really thinking about how do we best support our employees in times of crisis? How do we make sure that we are retaining and recruiting the best, the best of the best? How do we make sure we have an inclusive environment, um, not just a diverse environment, but an inclusive environment where people feel safe to bring their authentic selves to work? So I think that the, the questions have become bigger and more robust and more focused, not so much on HR, but on human capital. Um, so that I think has been a really big shift for not only me, but many HR professionals in the community. Thank you. That was, appreciate you walking us through that history as well, just kind of uh, how it's changed over all these years. Yeah, and I will just add, I still have nightmares about not being able to to serve all the tables that I'm waiting on um, you know so it really when I'm stressed out I still I still go back to that the, those uh moments in that part of my career that really make me say okay I'm not I'm not you know That's I'm too not fun. I have those same today. I have that those same sweats you know I was a waiter and then I was a bartender but um yeah, I, I wanted know. to ask I guess since you brought it up and Chris I know I'm asking two questions back to back That's but okay. <laughs> uh I wanted to ask like the hospitality right hospitality is very customer focused right and and understanding the ins and outs of the customer experience how has that helped you to evolve the employee experience at Canandaigua National Bank because I think yeah. your understanding and awareness and obviously, uh, 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 just lived experiences have probably helped dramatically with some of those initiatives that you just mentioned that you're working on there at CNB. Sure. I think CNB has been known for really in its whole existence as being a very customer focused industry. You know, I, it's, it's been amazing for me to see. I mean, if I wear anything that has a CNB logo on it, how many people stop me and say, I'm a customer, right? And, and that shows how strongly the focus is of our organization to really dial in and what customers need. I think for me specifically, it really is how do we be really great listeners and understand what people are really asking? Because sometimes someone will say something, but what they're really asking is not what, what the surface question is, right? There's something deeper going on. And I think that communication skills are especially listening skills is one of the hardest things for us all to do, particularly the more stress and busy we get, but is 100% critical. So I've really tried to make sure during the course of my career is to, when I ask somebody how they're doing, I really stop and listen and, and ask follow-up questions when it's, I'm okay right? Because there's, I'm okay. And you read the body language and you know, that's not the case. Right, yeah. And I, right. And we, we all do that, right? Hey, how you doing? I'm fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but going deeper and we can't do that all the time, you know, because of just how, how many dis different distractions we have, but that really listening, I think transgresses all layers of what we do at the bank and how we really try to teach our employees to really have that, that service first mindset. Oh, that's great. Yeah, uh, thank you, Michelle. There's a lot in there, I think. And a, a couple of the comments you made that really stuck with me was, you know, first off, congratulations on your 10 year anniversary. That's fantastic. That's nice. 
Um, and even when I was scrolling on CNNB's kind of LinkedIn site, I'm seeing a lot of announcements about 15 year anniversary, 20 year anniversary, you know, you're 10 like yourself. So we're in a world now where retention is so important, you know, and, and we're really looking at how do we get our good employees to stay? What's the secret to the sauce at CNB that you found that you've got these, you know, incredible retention rates? Yeah, it, it you you were spot on. I mean, being a 10-year employee is really probably not all that exciting to lots of people at CNB. <laughs> I mean, we have people who are just we have people who are crossing over 40 years, right? And yeah. that is really hard for some of us if you stop and think about that. I mean, there's many people probably listening to this podcast that aren't even 40 years old yet. So um, <laughs> to think about, right? right? I, I am not one of them, but um, you know, I think that the focus, and we talk a lot about living our culture, living our core values, and thinking about how do we not kind of continue with our culture, but how do we add to our culture, right? And if there's a lot of articles out there right now that says you can talk about culture all day long, but how are you enhancing your culture? And I think that's been a continuous focus on us as we, as we think about our employees and how do we, when things aren't going well, like i.e. the pandemic, how do we make them feel taken care of? How do we make them feel like they're part of the family? And how do we keep them engaged? I mean, those are, we've worked really, really hard on all of those things and it's not easy, um, but, but that's part of the secret sauce and, and everyone's looking for talent, right? CNB is sure. looking for talent. And, um, but, you know, trying to find people that are going to add to our culture in, in being selective, not just taking anybody. Um, but, you know, that's, that's part of the secret sauce. Yeah, I, I love your uh, intentionality there, right? Intention drives attention. And, and just because we have right. openings doesn't mean we're desperate and need to hire anybody. We want to make sure they're adding to our culture to progress us forward. I, I love that point. Michelle, and, and also your point about listening. I think uh, listening, I, it, I commonly say that it's a dying art, um, but there is a difference between listening and hearing, I think, and, and taking that mm -hmm. information from your employees, from your managers, from your senior leadership team, and articulating in a way that everybody can understand. Um, and then any precise action that was taken by you, by your team, by the managers, that it's relayed back to those individuals that felt comfortable, open, and honest with you as to how they're feeling, what they're looking for, what's not working, what is working, so on and so forth. Um, and I think you touched on where a lot of organizations are started to head is that holistic well-being, you know, um, before it was really only physical safety. Um, that was the primary concern because of workers' comp, property and casualty, you know, there was these other things that were more important because of um, the potential risk. But now we're starting to see about social, um, and I think you just touched on that a little bit. And, yeah. and the social piece that I wanted to, to explore with you is uh, your expertise in networking. Um, networking is, is something that I talk about quite frequently. I did not have a network coming out of college. I shine shoes at a country club. So I talk frequently <laughs> with up and comers on the importance of networking and more specifically to HR, because sometimes we can feel trapped in roles yeah. if we don't feel like we can find another. And I wanted to ask you, how much has networking helped you? And what advice would you give to HR professionals today that are interested in becoming more involved and networking? I think this is a great question. And I think that what throws a lot of people is the term networking. 
right? That feels very salesy to some people, very business development. And what I've really tried to do my whole career is just build connections and relationships, right? Um, and, and that for me, specific to HR, started with, with joining the board of a National Human Resources Association and you know, becoming a member of SHRM, which is Society for Human Resource Management, most of your listeners will know. Um, but, but doing something local where I could just meet people who had some of the same interests that I did. Um, I also really knew that giving back to the community is such a natural and easy way to network and build relationships. And I'm telling you, if you are an HR professional and you want to serve on a board, boards are desperate for individuals who have some HR competencies, right? Because everyone has to negotiate through how to have tough conversations. How are we finding talent? You know, how do we, what should our benefits programs look like? How do we, you know, how do we handle disciplinary issues? Whatever it is. So I think that my, my view on networking is really, how do I put myself in places that I really care about that make it easy to have conversations? And, you know, for, for many of us, work in a room is, it could be scary, right? Yeah. But it's so much easier if you're sitting at a table with, with peers in some way and just to have a conversation about what's going on. So that volunteerism piece and that, that intentionally, I, I love that you used the word earlier, Kevin, of intentionality, but just being intentional about being in, in, the, in certain spaces will open so many doors that it will be hard to say no. You'll be in a situation where you have to be more selective, which for someone like me is really hard. <laughs> like, yes, I want to help everybody, but no, I can't. I don't have that, that bandwidth um, is, really, is really, I think, key. Yeah, I struggle with that too. And, and I guess there's a secondary question off of that is, how do you view your role as a CHRO? Do you, do you see how working to improve the lives of your employees actually has a greater impact on the community at large? Of course. I mean, I think anybody that's leading HR has to have that mindset, but, you know, has to have that mindset of, you know, if we take care of our community, the community will take care of us. And that 100% is why C&B is so successful. You know, we don't always make decisions because we might get an account. Mm -hmm. We make decisions because we are a community bank. Um, and we have the ability as a community bank to be nimble and to, you know, what I call color outside the lines, which my staff sometimes hates that I continue to say, we're going to color outside the lines on this one. But, but we have that agility where we don't have to do everything so cookie cutter and we can make faster decisions. So I think those things are all, are all really important. It's one of the reasons why I came to CNB is because of the community focus. That's great. Thanks, Michelle. So you mentioned a couple of things um, specifically around the HR side and professionals building their competencies, um, which is near and dear to my heart from an L&D standpoint. Uh, but you also mentioned something earlier that really stood out to me. It was, you know, it's, it's tricky in HR because you want to follow the process, the policies, the guidelines, but you also have to balance that, you said, with what works in the real world. Right. Mm -hmm. So just because it's written on paper doesn't mean that it's going to be easily implemented across the organization. Can you give us a few examples of how you had to work with the business leaders, you know, CEO, CFO to really, um, you know, demonstrate that ability to make those connections that, hey, we can really help the organization out here. 
Yeah, and we talk there, and I didn't coin this term, so I can't take credit for it. And I, I honestly can't remember who did, but we talk a lot about perform, um, balancing performance with humanity. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So especially when we're thinking about, you know, decisions, even something as simple as, you know, how much vacation time do we give to people? Yeah. Right. We know we have jobs to do. We know people, you know, have to be able to get their get their tasks done. But we also know everyone needs a break. And so we're in the process right now of looking at, you know, do we have the right levels of vacation? You know, there's some companies that are, you know, we have unlimited vacation. And I don't know that we would go as far as that. But walking through that exercise is a great example of, you know, sometimes you can see surveys and and information that's out there that suggests what the answer should be. But then you need to stop and take a step back to say, well, that's great. But how does this impact us? and our employees, yeah. right? And, and you know, sometimes doing what everyone else is doing is not the answer. It's doing something a little bit different um, to kind of keep people engaged. So that's one quick example. Yeah. Um, ho- hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. No, that's great. Thank you. Appreciate that. And, and one of the things, you, Michelle, you, you talked about earlier was the ability to be agile, you know, flexible. Um, we talk about some of the organizations that I consult with and meet with. It's like steering the Titanic into the Erie Canal in some of these organizations. <laughs> you know, it, it just takes forever. It, 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 they're very slow to adapt to change. How do you get your senior leadership team comfortable with these new ideas, right? The world of banking, um, I'll be honest, it probably was not focused on human capital and, and, and well, wellness and well-being. Um, and, and maybe CNB is totally different than, than normal banking. But how did you get your senior leadership team to take a more holistic view of the business where it's simply not just financials and financially driven to optimize costs, to find efficiencies, to save money? That actually there's more to the story and human capital is actually a more a better predictor of future success than some of these financial statements that they have relied on so heavily for so many years. How did you build that credibility or that trust with the leadership team to see it a little bit more holistically in that one way? I think that's such a such a big question, right? And I think you've said a couple of things. You hit on a couple of words. It's the trust. Um, it's thinking about our employees, not just as, you know, widgets, right? These are, you know, individuals are just going to get things done. It's thinking about them as people and understanding that if we don't have opportunities for people to be celebrated or be recognized or um, attend, uh, you know, be able to go in and volunteer a day of caring and recharge, you um, then, then we're missing some opportunities. Um, the great thing for me is that CMB had a long history of thinking about things outside of just the numbers. So for me, when I came in 10 years ago is how do we enhance this? How do we formalize a wellness program, for example? How do we make sure we have a diversity, equity, and inclusion group meeting and talking about issues that are really impacting our employees? So um, sometimes what I'll do, my, my, little, uh, my little piece of advice is sometimes I'll pilot something. We're just going to try this out. Mm-hmm. Let's see if, you know, like a mentoring program that we kicked off last year. We're going to start with a small group and see how it goes and, and see what, what return we get on this. And just making inroads to test something out um, almost always. And, and 
you know, almost always it's successful in some way and we make adjustments and we learn. So, but I think part of that has to do with, um, with me, understand, I understand the financials. I've worked hard to understand how a bank works. I'm not an expert. I don't know every piece of how every, everything works, but I can hold my own in talking the language with others to say, I, I understand that that's our efficiency ratio as a company, but let's take a look at you know some other metrics here. And that's been really, really helpful. And it's been, you know, that's, it's, that's taken a lot of time to really put myself in a situation where I can, where I can really have those conversations, but it's worth, worth the effort. So it sounds like finding a common language, you know, and, and, and your, you enhanced your credibility by really understanding the financials of the business. So you could talk more probably in financial terminology that they would actually understand as well. And that's similar to what Chris and I find with arming, them with data, you know, uh, right. numbers are the international language of business. Um, and data is a way to help kind of sh- show the effectiveness and, and to your point that return on investment um, for such a pilot program. So they can see that, hey, there is a cause and effect and a greater understanding and more aware that we become of that fact, uh, the, the better uh, and more precise that we can be. Thanks for that. Yes. And I, I also love that you brought up the data or data, depending on where, where you're from, <laughs> data or data. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. That's right. I, bet, I bet I say it both ways during different conversations, but sometimes we will hear, hear an assumption from somebody in one of our lines of business, whether it's, you know, we were, our turnover is X or all of our employees are, are moving to our operations area. And we'll take a step back and say, well, let's, Let's just check that. And oftentimes when we actually look at the numbers, when we can look at what the story really is, it doesn't align with what someone's just making an assumption on and then gives us a conversation point to start to say, okay, now that we're looking at this, this data, let's talk about what this really means and, and how do we adjust? And it, it is really interesting because so we often so much react on emotion or the last bits of information we've heard and seen, and we have to dive a little bit deeper. So having, you know, having someone who understands analytics in HR is really, that is not, that is important. That's no small thing to have somebody that can run some data. And then you have to be able to take a step back and say, okay, well, what does this mean? Yeah, right. So there's looking at the data and then the harder part is like, what are the conclusions? What are what are the questions that we ask now based on this? And how do we come from a place of curiosity about this mm-hmm. and not, okay, this is what this means. Yeah. And I think that translation portion that you're describing is the hardest part because you have to have understanding on both sides. But a lot of uh, my friend being a data scientist himself, if I handed him a, a bulk of, of HR related and business related data, he wouldn't know what to do of it. It would be your years of intellectual capital that you garnered as to know what questions to ask and why we're asking those particular questions. Awesome. I, think that's so, I, would, just, yeah. I would add one more thing. And, and it's also getting away from our own internal biases about things, yeah, right? Sure. Because we, we all even, you know, even experienced professionals make assumptions about things yeah. that we have to just do a little stop and a check-in and have others around us that will help us do that check-in on occasion. Yeah, that's why I like the scientific method because you work backwards and then figure, <laughs> out, figure out who needs to be involved, how you're going to answer that question, what data you need. 
all of that. That's great. Great to hear. Spoken like a scientist. Exactly. Uh, that's right. uh, probably my bio biology degree. <laughs> there's a lot in there, and there's a lot to that, though. I think as well because I think traditionally people looked at HR as being emotion driven, being you know people driven. Mm -hmm. So the fact that now we can back up a lot of the you know, the ask, the requests, the moving forward with the real data and, and use that data to help us not influence, but tell the story, we'll say, is really sure. helpful. Uh, Michelle, I think the data would tell us that over the past two or three years, you know, a lot has changed due to the pandemic. Um, yeah. Specifically, one of the areas that I love talking about is leadership and how just the leadership traits and characteristics and behaviors have changed as we've kind of morphed into this new normal. Can you give us an idea? I, I think you had a post on LinkedIn maybe a, a while ago where you described leadership and you said it's really about authenticity. Can you tell us a little bit more about leadership and maybe how you develop your leaders at, at the bank? Yeah, you know, I it's so interesting because I had just wrote down a couple words a couple minutes ago, vulnerability, curiosity, and authenticity, right? I think that those three words really are great words to think about, particularly over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. You know, we are, we were, and still are in so many ways, working in an environment where we have no freaking idea what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just no other way to say it, right? You know, there's talk of another new variant coming through if you're watching the news today. And that ability for leaders to have to make decisions and adjust quickly without having all of the information is really hard. It's really hard. So one of the things that I think that we've really focused on, at least at CMB, is trying to just, you know, share the straight story. This is what we know now. Um, this, we don't have the perfect answers. This is how we're going to operate. This is what happens, for example, if you test positive. This is what we're going to want you to do. Um, and doing this all while the rules keep changing, you know, almost, almost daily yeah. with really just a fascinating time to be in a leadership position, whether it's an HR or not an HR. And I think one of the most critical things that leaders can do is say, I'm not going to get this right. This is what I know now. Yeah. Um, and we may have to change course here. But we're gonna we're gonna rely on what we know we think is the right thing to do, and you know think about how different people are wired. For some people, it's like yeah okay I can I can go with the flow. Others are like wait yes. what what. Um, so I think that being authentic and just trying to tell it to people real, and and communicating. It, I was amazed talking to others in at other organizations. And listening to how often they communicated with their employees or how they failed to communicate with their employees and left them guessing. And when you pe leave people guessing in a crisis, it's so unsettling, right? It really adds to stress, particularly mental health issues. So the more you can communicate, even if you don't have the whole story and the more you can show your vulnerability, the better. And I think just like you're touching on is the transparency component of that and, and just One being open and open and honest about these things and, and arming everybody with the same information so they can almost fill in the blanks or come to their own conclusions, but at least you're being open and honest. And, and that's why I love, uh, I love the vulnerability aspect because in leadership before I figured, 
very poor at showing our emotions, right? Or, or showing probably more negative emotions when we're frustrated and angry, but we always had to have the answers in leadership. Uh, it was, it was uncommon to ask for help when you're in a, that leadership role, because if people are looking up to you, you're the one that's supposed to have all the answers. How have you created, I guess, that environment, that safe space where people can feel comfortable, you know, saying, I don't know, and I need help um, to really probably progress to where you guys and how you evolve through the pandemic to where you are today. How did you create that environment to talk about mental health, to talk about some of these things that have been taboo for so long? Yeah, I think it's been just intentional, regular communications. I mean, if I look back to, you know, when was that March of, let's see, 2020, right? So, right, it was right around St. Patrick's Day. So let's remember. And March the Madness, number, yes. The March Madness, right? <laughs> March Madness, literally. Um, the number of communications I sent out, sometimes more than once a day, just giving information. This is what the Department of Health is saying. This is what the CDC is saying. This is what our plans are right now. And we had all company virtual meetings um, at least weekly for, for months and months and months. Here's what we know. What questions do you have? Completely open forum questions. Employees could submit, submit questions in advance in one and ask a question publicly um, on an all company call. And I think, it, I think, you know, someone said to me, you're faster than CNN with getting the word out. And I was like, yes, right. <laughs> um, but that's because that became such a focus of what, what we did, particularly not only myself and our CEO, but our other members of management and my HR team. And guess what? That that piece of that was never on any HR job description. It was never in my CHRO job description to start managing internal communications. Exactly. But I think what by nature of um, the role and thinking about focusing on balancing performance and humanity and all of those things, it just became a, um, a an avenue to really keep people connected. And when you have people connected in that way, then that trust stays. Um, and, and also didn't hurt that we basically said, we don't know what's going to happen. You may not be able to come to work. You may have kids at home that you need to stay home, but guess what? We're going to pay it anyway. Yeah, well, so taking yeah. that pressure off the situation certainly was, was also a factor in helping keep people engaged and calm and feeling safe. So I love how you focus both on the personal and professional well-being, right? Because because usually it's only yeah. way. It's, it's typically just the, the professional side. And and here you are taking account into what they're going on in their personal lives. And just you being more aware of that, CNB being more aware of that, managers, leaders being more aware of it really helps to set the tone of being connected to your mission, vision and values of an organization, but building that credibility and that trust. And trust was the fundamental component to that thing everybody was searching for, which was resilience at that point. And, and yeah. that only came from being open, honest, transparent. Um, and something I wanted to ask you about is, is, is really a, that what you described as you putting it out before CNN put it out, it started to probably shift the old way of viewing at HR as the enemy, right? From an employee perspective. And here HR now is providing value. They're protecting me. They're keeping me informed. How do we not lose that at this stage and within HR? How do we keep that moving forward now that we've kind of turned back the page a little bit? They start to see us more as an ally. 
how do we not lose that type of relationship that we know is critical and crucial based off an ADP research study that they needed seven touch points within a year within, with HR to have a more favorable view? Yeah, oh, what a great question, because it's something that we've talked about a lot, particularly amongst my HR team. You know, if I, if I show up at one of our branch locations, you know, and people realize, you know, I can see that moment in their eyes when they realize I'm there. And, and then it's like, uh oh, why is she here? Right. And I try to kid around and say, (laughs) I'm not the one that goes on site anymore to like fire people. Like, don't be worried about me showing up. Right. Like kidding around. (laughs) But, but I do think as HR professionals, we, we have to wear many hats and, you know, our, our payroll specialist every other Friday is the best person in the bank, right? Yeah. And so we have ways that we, we do wonderful things. And then we have ways where times when we have to be the deliverer of bad news um, or have conversations that aren't great. And yeah. so that is always going to be a struggle. I think having people know you as a person and understand who you are always is helpful when you know someone's personal story and can relate to them in some way. And we all can relate to any person we cross paths with. There is some connection there. So building those connections and I'll, I'll give you a, a real life story that happened just this past week. I had someone reach out to me asking me about some mental health time away and did we do anything and of course we do at the bank if you you have some mental health issues um, we have ways that we can provide resources to you and they explained that they were really struggling with anxiety and so I'm very open about having experienced a lot of anxiety in the past like clinical anxiety where where I've been on medication and how I've you know some strategies that I've used to work through things and I think sharing that I think first of all the person was shocked like, I can't believe you're talking about, you know, something that's medical related. Well, first of all, I'm talking about it. And it's me. And, and second of all, we have, more, we have lots of things in common and we've all been in tough situations. And when you just know that someone, you can, you have some empathy. I mean, that's really what we're talking about is that empathy piece. It, it is extraordinary how much impact you can have on somebody by just sharing that little thing about yourself. And so I think that that is the piece that we have to continue to focus on in HR professionals is that we as leaders, you, you, there are things you're going to do that you're not always going to love, but, but sometimes I remind myself, if not me, then who, right? And then knowing that I'll do my best to try to deliver something not great and the best way that I can, can help settle us down as leaders. Mm-hmm. And you, you talk about the administrative to transformative, it's what you just, how, how to get to that point where we are sharing who we are and what we're about and what we do, um, that really takes time, right? And, and time yeah. is something that's really hard for us to protect. And I love that. I, I love that you, the availability and sharing that personal story, because mm-hmm. I think that just forms that we're human at the end of the day. It's not that I'm HR yeah. or finance. It's we're both people. So thanks well, for that, finance Michelle. people, we might have to. Have <laughs> yeah, they're on a different planet. I always exactly. tell my dad that. I'm just he's, kidding. He's a VP of finance. I'm like, you guys see the world a little diff differently. <laughs> I would throw it. I'll throw in attorneys in the mix, too. Yeah, <laughs> Our CEO is a former defense attorney, so we have a lot of fun kidding around about that. That's awesome. Michelle, you mentioned earlier about diversity, and it's really, you know, it's not just good enough to be diverse. You really have to work on 
the inclusion and the equity part to create that sense of belonging, right? To, if we go along the whole part, tell, tell us a little bit about how you're approaching diversity at CMB and maybe some of the things you're doing to create that inclusive environment. Yeah, this is a fabulous question too. Um, you know, it, you only have to look at the news for five minutes to understand how polarizing things are out in the world today. And, you know, with 650 employees or when you have 10 employees, you know, everyone's going to have um, a different place that they've come from and how they kind of show up at work. So we are really trying to dial in on how do we get people into conversations where they can, again, share their story, share who they are, share what makes them feel safe coming to work, share experiences that haven't been great where we can learn from them. Um, we recently had a panel discussion and had somebody from, well, we had somebody from a lot of different communities. There was someone from the LGBTQ plus community and there was somebody from the black community. There was somebody um, um, you know, who is in a wheelchair, right? So we really try to have a good cross-section of employees and you think about that intersectionality, right? I mean, we all have these different pieces that we bring to the table. And just ask them all the same questions. We did it on an all company call that was recorded for people that could miss it. And, you know, what, what makes you, you, what makes you feel great coming to work in your past? Where are some things that haven't made you feel great? And it was extraordinary because it wasn't focused on some of the more focused on how do we set an environment where people can bring their authentic self into the workplace. So that's one example okay. that we're doing. And, and it's hard because it doesn't matter what you do. There's still going to be views that aren't going to understand. And people are at different places along their either understanding of DEI related issues or whatever it may be. But, um, you know, that's the approach that we're taking as opposed to saying, here's 12 training courses that you must go through yeah. and now you've checked off a box, but there's been no conversation. So that's really CMB's approach. And we're continuing to look for speakers and opportunities and ways we can get people in groups just to have dialogue yeah. um, so they can learn from each other. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. If we can only do more of that exact thing in our community as a whole, I think just pushing that conversation yeah, right. I, right, is, is just having that basic understanding and awareness. Like you're saying, storytelling is, I, right. even if you shared a story that I, I was rushing to get out of work today to pick up my kid off the bus, everybody has had or, or lived that same experience and can understand and relate right. at that point. When it says, I need to just cut out 30 minutes early without any why, yeah. Um, people start to fill in the blanks. And that's where your earlier point, when you're constantly stressed and low energy, that's when we start assuming more and, and filling in those blanks that's ourselves. Right. Um, yeah. I wanted to talk about, because a lot of organizations started to shift and, and you mentioned living your values and living your culture. Did, did CNB reevaluate the mission, vision, and values of the organization during the pandemic? Um, and what values did you guys solidify as to the pillars of future success for the bank? Yeah, so we, we have pretty traditional core values and our, you know, our mission vision has been around for a long time. We just this week had a conversation, we literally two days ago, had a conversation about revisiting our core values and seeing if they still hold the test of time. And you know, we, our core values are things like respect, 
um, professionalism, honesty, and integrity. Um, so, you know, you know, customer service focused behaviors, all of those kinds of things. But, but I think it is a healthy exercise for any organization to go through to say, okay, we have this, these words on the paper, but how do we live them? What does respect look like in the workplace? What does professionalism look like? What does integrity look like? And so we're going to spend a little bit of time doing a little deeper dive into those, um, into what the meanings are. And, you know, one of the things that came up is should we have inclusion as one of our core values or does respect and professionalism include, you know, inclusion? So, so those are those are, I think, more action items than examples of things that we've done. I, I think we try to always go back, you know, even when we do our, we do a, a couple of different surveys a year, one we call our annual culture survey, and we try to have behaviors wrapped around that tie into all of those values. But continuing to look at them, are still are we still asking the right questions? Yeah. And I think that's, um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's on our homework list. And I, I know a lot of organizations are taking a deeper dive now, particularly after these couple of crazy years that we've had with, with all kinds of things going on. So speaking of the couple of crazy years, and thank you for, for sharing the, your, your answer to that last question. That's really helpful. And I think you're right, revisiting the mission, vision, values on a maybe not every year basis, but always reflecting, do these still hold true for us is really important. Um, and the last few years have been crazy, which brings us to our last question that we love to ask all of our guests is, you know, where do you see the future of work going? So much has changed over the last, you know, 36 months. You know, it's, it's hard to have that crystal ball to know exactly what's going to happen over the next 36 months, but just based on what you've seen and experienced, where do you see the future of work headed? Uh, yeah, I, I personally see a continued look at having flexibility Right. So if you if you're an employee, you know, and I'll give the example, the individuals that work in our branches really don't have a lot of flexibility about where they can work. They have to be there for the customers. But two thirds of our employees do have some flexibility and and understanding that, you know, where where do your employees work best? Where are they the most productive? And what does that look like to you? We're, we're going through this exercise, even with just with my department to say, and that was to say, you know, as we move forward in time, what does your perfect schedule look like to you? And where are you? And, and, and how can we have help you have that schedule, but also be able to connect and collaborate and communicate with others? And one of the things I've said to my staff is I'm not going to make you come in if you're the only person in the office or you're going to sit in your cubicle or office all day and not interact with anybody. Yeah. We're going to do that. You might as well stay working at home that day. But how are we going to make sure we're creating opportunities for us to engage with each other for all of the reasons we talked about during the whole podcast, right? And um, to understand network, relationship build, connect, all of those things. So, so. I think the future of work is, you know, I, I think gone are the days of the past where we have what we call butts and seats, right? Like, I think we have to challenge ourselves to say how, you know, how do we need to continue to flex and adjust 
And how does that change competencies that managers need to have? Because I think that's the big piece is that at the end of the day, no matter where your employees are, you need to be able to lead them and manage them. And that is a question that we're not always thinking about, right? Is how, how, do, we, how do we manage our workforce remotely? What does that look like? Um, and what are the non-negotiables for you? For me, my non-negotiable is when I want to have everybody in for a staff meeting, I want them there in person so I can read body language and look at people. And that's not an every week thing. So sure. that flexibility and being open-minded to how we always have done work doesn't mean that we have to go back to that. What is that right mix for us? Amazing. Amazing. And Michelle, in, in closing, I just want to say thank you so much for, for uh, sharing all of this with us today and sharing some of the things that you guys are, are tangibly doing there at CNB. And it's more than when words and you're actually moving it into action, which is always exciting for, for Chris, myself, as well as the HR community and, and, and the workers at large, right? Um, I think we're, we're really excited to see where the world of work is, is headed. Um, and uh, it's awesome to have futuristic um, views uh, and opinions to know where we're kind of headed. So I appreciate you sharing that with us and all the other intellectual capital that you shared. And I just want to say thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on our show and for being uh, a, a, a wonderful mentor to, to a lot of uh, professionals in the, in the space. So thank you again so much, Michelle. Awesome. It's been my pleasure. And I feel like I could talk for hours. So thank you for, <laughs> thank you for letting me at least spend some time with you for an hour. Thank you.